0: Jesus once said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, that one sentence can radically reshape the way we think about what it means to be a Christian if we will let it. If we will ponder it. If we will consider how it relates to other things that Jesus said. For example, if I asked you how does somebody become a Christian? You would probably say something like, well, you have to turn from your sin, right? That's repentance. You turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus. If you do that, you're a Christian and you would be right. But if I asked you, if someone said they believed in Jesus, how would you tell 10 years later if they were really a Christian or not? That's a little bit tougher to answer. In one sense, uh, we can't know. You might say, well, I I mean, there's no way I could know with 100% certainty, right? Because I can't see into somebody's heart. I don't know all that God knows. And so there's a sense in which nobody can know the state of somebody else's soul with 100% certainty, right? But are there things... That we could look for signs, evidence that we might see or not see in someone's life that would be a strong indication one way or the other. That they either genuinely were a Christian or not. One of the more consistent answers to that question in scripture is that one of the things that marks someone Who is truly a believer in Christ is they stick with Jesus over the long haul. They abide, to use that word that Jesus used, they persevere. When Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He didn't say that to a group of people who had no interest in Jesus. John tells us he said that to the Jews who had believed in him. So they had believed and Jesus said, if you abide, if you stick around, if you stay in my word, then you are truly my disciples. When Jesus tells the parable of the soils, remember the the man goes out to sow seed seed, and some of the seed falls on the path, and some of it falls on uh, rocky ground, and some of it falls among thorns, and some of it falls on good soil. Jesus says, the seed that fell on the path, it gets snatched up. The seed that falls among rocky soil, it springs up real quick, but it has no root, and so when the sun comes out, it dries up. The seed that fell among thorns gets choked out, But the seed that falls on good soil produces fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Not every time the seed produces a response do you end up with someone who bears fruit. Not everybody lasts. But true disciples, Jesus said, persevere. True disciples abide. True disciples stick with Jesus. If you look with me at the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus is going to use uh, some agricultural imagery, right? A fancy way of saying he's going to talk about things that grow, right? And that we cultivate. Jesus is going to use the imagery of a vine, a vineyard, to communicate the uh, importance and the significance of Of sticking with Jesus. Because let's be honest. Every disciple, everybody who sets out to follow Jesus. Is going to face some opposition along the way. And is going to have some opportunities to turn back and say, never mind. This is too hard. It costs too much. I'm no longer interested. No thank you. We see this in Jesus' own ministry. There was a time back in John chapter 6 where some of the things that Jesus was teaching, the people found so hard to hear that many of those who had been following Jesus turned back and followed Him no longer. And they weren't the only ones. So Jesus communicates to His disciples in these final hours that He's spending with them before His crucifixion, Communicating to them the significance, the importance, the necessity of sticking with Jesus all the way to the end. So here's what he says. I'm going to read the first 17 verses of John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So the image that Jesus begins to paint for his disciples and for us here is of a vineyard. And in this vineyard, Jesus says that he is the true vine. And his Father is the vine dresser. So his Father is the one who who cultivates the vine, who cares for the vine. And Jesus is the vine, the the stalk, right? The chief part that the branches are all connected to. And those branches that are connected to Jesus, he says, are supposed to bear fruit. Verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, most of you, I don't know, you probably don't have a lot of vineyards on your property, right? But maybe you have some peach trees. You got some peach tree growers in here. You might plant in your yard a dogwood tree just because you want to see the blooms in the spring. But you don't plant a peach tree for the blooms, you plant a peach tree for the fruit. So if you plant a peach tree and there's no fruit on it, after a few years, what are you gonna do with it? Dig it up, maybe try again, it's useless. If there are branches on that fruit tree that don't produce fruit, what are you gonna do? You're gonna cut them off. If there are branches on that peach tree that do produce fruit, what are you gonna do with those? You're gonna prune them each year in the hopes that year after year, it'll produce more and more fruit. That's what it's for. Jesus is saying, that's what my Father is looking for. That's what the branches that are connected to me are for. They are to bear fruit. And so if a branch doesn't bear fruit, it gets taken away. If it does bear fruit, it gets pruned, so it'll be more fruitful. Have you ever had a season of your life where you thought, God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. I thought things were going well, but now all this painful stuff is happening to me. Why is that happening? Well, pruning is painful. But pruning produces more growth and more fruit. God works in us to help us be more fruitful, and sometimes that's a painful process to go through. So, Jesus is the vine. Who are the branches? Well, if we haven't figured it out yet, Jesus tells us that we are the branches. Right, Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, so picture the vine, right? And all the branches, the, the vine doesn't have all the fruit on it, right? The, the fruit comes on the branches that spread out from the main stalk of the vine. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are the branches and you are connected to me. And it is only by being connected to me and staying connected to me that you can bear fruit. If a branch gets disconnected from the vine, no grapes. You don't walk around a vineyard and find random branches lying on the ground full of healthy grapes. They have to stay connected to the vine. The vine is the source of life and nourishment. And it's from what the vine provides that the branches produce the fruit. So Jesus says he's the vine. He's the one who gives us life and nourishment. He's the one who um, enables us, empowers us to bear fruit, right? to produce good fruit. And if we don't abide in him, we can't bear fruit. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, in other words, we can't do any of the things that God designed us to do, intended us to do. We cannot bear the fruit that God wants us to produce if we aren't connected to Jesus. We just can't do it on our own. We don't have it in us. We don't have the resources on our own. We weren't created to exist and live on our own, independent, apart from God. We are created to live in fellowship with God, and so only in fellowship with God can we be and do what God created us to be and do. And the consequences of not abiding are quite serious. Verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Again, what do you do with a branch on a peach tree that produces no fruit? You cut it off. You throw it aside. It dries out. Eventually you burn it with all the other ones. It's quite clear what Jesus is referring to with that imagery, right, throughout the Bible. Um, Burning is one of the images used for judgment, right, for hell. If you don't abide in me, Jesus says, this is where you will end up. You have to stick with me, you have to stay with me, you have to abide in me. And if you do, he says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this one of those verses is really easy for people to take out of context and say, look, Jesus wants you to have whatever you want. You want to be rich? He promised it. You want to be healthy? He promised it. All you have to do is is ask. I say, well, I asked and I didn't get it. Well, you must not have asked the right way. You must not have enough faith. You must not really be believing in Jesus. No, the problem is you're not actually reading what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not handing us a blank check and saying, if you abide in me, I'll give you whatever you want. No, he's saying, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, what's going to happen to you? If you stay close to Jesus, you follow Him, you're connected to Him, and His words are coming into your life, into your mind, into your heart. What are those words going to do? What is the presence of Jesus, the example of Jesus going to do? It's going to shape you. It's going to change your mind. It's going to change your heart what kinds of things then are you going to ask Him for? The kinds of things that He wants you to have, right? In the context of what Jesus is saying here, what He is saying is, look, if you will stick close to Me and you will let My Word abide in you then that will so shape you in such a way that you can ask for whatever you want and God will give it to you because you'll be asking for the kinds of things God wants you to have. You'll be asking, God, help me bear good fruit. Help me love my neighbor. Help me love my spouse. Help me love my kids. Help me love my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I got somebody in my life who's just on my case all the time to drive me crazy. I mean, I maybe even could apply the word persecution. They've made themselves my enemy. They're just hounding me all the time. I know how Jesus responded to people like that. And it's really hard for me to follow his example and love them and bless them and pray for them. Would you help me do that? Abide in me let my word abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. And I'll do it for you. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. Not how much money you want in your bank account or what kind of car you want to drive. But hard things that are good things. You can ask God and have confidence he will answer. If you're sticking with him. Jesus is saying essentially the same thing that Psalm 37.4 says. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can't just take the second half and say, God will give you the desires of your heart. Because the desires of your heart might be sinful, wrong, unhealthy, right? But if you delight yourself in the Lord, God, you are what I love. You are what I want. I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to live my life in gratitude to you. Then ask whatever you want. And he'll give it to you. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't have one half of the promise without the other half. You have to abide in him. Let his word abide in you and shape you. And then ask whatever you want. And he will give it to you. He says in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's what this is about. Stay close to me, Jesus says, stick to me, be connected to me, listen to me. And when you do, fruit will come from that. Love will come from that. Joy will come from that. Peace will come from that. Patience will come from that. Kindness will come from that. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things will begin to be produced in your life because you are connected to me. That's my character, and my character will come out of you in the kind of works, the kind of fruit that glorify God. And if you're connected to me and you ask him to help you do those things, he's going to answer yes because that's what glorifies him and that's what shows the world that you really belong to me. That's what he's talking about. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, if you love one another as I have loved you, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's the same thing he's talking about here. If you abide in me, produce much fruit, you will prove to be my disciples. It will be evident that you know me, that you've been with me. You've been shaped by me. James might have been thinking about this very teaching of Jesus when he said in James chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? A little bit later he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here's what this comes down to. If you are not connected to Jesus, you cannot do these things. You cannot produce this fruit. But if you are connected to Jesus, that will change you. He will change you. You will still fail and falter. Not everyone who is fruitful and genuinely a disciple is equally fruitful. So you can't look at somebody else and say, well, they're more fruitful than me. That must mean I'm not actually a disciple. No, that's not the comparison. Are you fruitful or are you not? That's the question. Being fruitless is not an option and will not be the case for those who are connected to Jesus. Might it take some time for that fruit to show up? Yeah. Take a peach tree, With three to five years usually, before you have any real substantial fruit. Sometimes, someone comes to Christ, there's dramatic, obvious evidence. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it takes some time. And even once the fruit is there, is there going to be room for growth? Absolutely. But if you are connected to the vine, the true vine, there will be fruit in time. That's what Jesus says. Now, the next thing he says is so tucked away in this passage, and it's so significant, I almost, I almost don't know how to prepare you for it so that you don't kind of skip over it. This is one of those little hidden gems in the scripture that if you could get this in your mind and in your heart and you could believe that it is true for you could radically change your life and I, I don't say that as an exaggeration I mean that listen to what Jesus says here verse 9 he says as the father has loved me so have I Loved you. Do you see why that's so explosive and incredible and amazing? How does the Father love His Son? How would you How would you describe, characterize that love? Is it anything less than the fullest possible love that? God could have or show for anyone? This is love that never diminishes, never dims, never falters, never changes. It is full throttled, fully committed, never changing, never ending, absolute and complete love for His Son. And Jesus who before he took on flesh was already the son of God Right, has been the son of God forever he existed eternally has spent eternity in the father's presence receiving the father's love looks on his fickle inconsistent sometimes frustratingly dense disciples people just as flawed and broken and messed up as you and I are. And he looks them in the eye as it were and says, the love that I love you with is like the love that my Father loves me with. Sometimes There's just no way to say with enough power and passion and clarity what it is that Jesus is saying. If you and I believed that Jesus loved us at every single moment, with the same love that His Father has loved Him with for all of eternity. What would that do for you? What would that change for you? Would you ever hesitate to pray or ask for anything? Would you ever let your guilt... Keep you from coming back to God and asking for forgiveness and restored fellowship? would you ever be afraid that God would let you what let somebody do something to you that was outside I mean like what what, what would we have to fear? Jesus, one of the things I love about Jesus, and of course there are so many, but one of the things I love about Jesus, I love about this passage, is that Jesus makes some really big claims. But they're never just claims. They're never just words. Jesus is about to, tell us in just a moment how he is going to show the disciples that he has this kind of love for them. And then in a few hours after that, he is going to show them. He's going to do the thing that communicates above everything else the depths and heights of his love for them and for us. He goes on to say in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Remember, love and obedience go together with God. Right? We show our love to Him by obeying Him. Right? Jesus showed His love for His Father by obeying Him. And the same is true for us, that we are called to show our love for Christ by obeying His commandments. But he says, right along with that, he says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, here's another thing that we often miss, and that people often uh, try to, to separate. People often think, and this is something that has been with us since the Garden of Eden, People often think that God's commands are meant to keep us from joy. God says, don't do that. God says, don't go do that. God says, stay away from that because he's trying to ruin our lives. He's a killjoy. That's what people think a lot of times, right? Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, I've told you these things. I've reminded you about the importance, not only of my love, but of you abiding in my love, and that means keeping my commandments. I've told you that because if you will listen to me, and if you will do this, then you will have my joy in you, and that will be a full joy. Here's where we get mixed up on this. Sin does offer pleasure. No doubt about that. Right? The Bible makes clear. Uh, I talked about this in Hebrews 11. That the pleasure of sin is fleeting. It's temporary. But it's there. Right? It's real. If there, wasn't, if there wasn't any pleasure involved, nobody would ever want to do it. Right? There is pleasure involved in sin. But it's temporary. And it robs you of joy, which is better and more lasting than a temporary pleasure. Jesus is not saying, don't sin because I want your life to be miserable. He's saying, don't sin because I don't want your life to be miserable. I want your life to be full of joy. I mean, don't we all know from experience the thing that we were tempted to do, we, know we, we knew we weren't supposed to do, but we thought, oh, it's going to be fun, and so I'm going to do it, and it was fun for a little while, and then somewhere down the line, might have been five minutes later, might have been five weeks later, at some point, we're convicted, and we become miserable because we recognize shouldn't have done that, it wasn't worth it, I feel awful now, Maybe there have been some negative consequences with it too. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you this to try to ruin your life. I'm telling you this because I want you to have the joy that only comes when you're living the way that God designed you and created you to live. He wants what's best for you. He loves you. That's why He tells you, no, don't do that. Yes, do this. So that we will have the joy that he designed us to have. Finally, Jesus tells his disciples once again to love one another. In verses 12 to 17, verse 12 he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is what Jesus wants His disciples to do what He wants us to do. wants our lives to be characterized by love for one another. And where does that love come from? Where do we learn to love the way that Jesus is teaching us and calling us to love? Verse 13, He says, Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, I'm talking about you. You're my friends. Not just my servants anymore, because servants don't know what their master is doing. I'm telling you. I've told you about my coming death, my coming resurrection. I've told you what I'm up to. I've told you what the Father has told me. You're my friends. You're in my confidence. I have uh, told you in advance what's going to happen. And you, my friends, I'm about to lay down my life for. And there's no greater love than that. There's no way I can love you more than that. There's no way I can show you more dramatically, more fully, more completely than that. The height and depth and breadth of my love for you. And that's true not just for those 11 disciples that were there. Jesus is demonstrating His love for all of us when He lays down His life on the cross. That's why John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus said, when I go to the cross, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people unto myself. He's demonstrating love for us, for you. And if you are drawn to Him, if you will leave your sin behind and you will trust in Jesus, then He will save you. He will forgive you. He will give you new life. He will give you joy. And you too will be His friend. The receiver of His love. One that He can say, I love you like the Father loves me. So keep... Loving one another. Keep bearing fruit. Keep close to Jesus. You won't find a better love anywhere else. You won't find more joy anywhere else. And you cannot bear fruit any other way than by sticking with Jesus, the lover and savior of our souls. Let's pray.